Well, good morning. Tom already alluded to it a little bit in his prayer, but what a heavy time. How many of you are praying for Israel? How many of you, knowing that the U.S. is starting to send some support into the area, are praying for our our troops? And we need to. How many of you are praying for the millions being held captive by the lies of Islam in Palestine? Hopefully that's everyone. That last one is harder to do, isn't it? We've seen pictures, we've heard stories. It's hard to pray for. Think that God may have compassion on people with this type of mindset. That was Jonah. We know, if you know the book of Jonah, that Jonah fled. Why did he flee? Because the very people that God was calling him to proclaim his word to were were, were horrible, horrible people. Actually, when he gets to chapter 4, he's already, he, he fleed the Lord and he ends up getting a second calling. We'll talk about it in a second. And he ends up going. Why didn't he go in the first place? He says in chapter 4, he says, I was so quick to flee. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, we pray that you would be in our midst this morning. Heavy hearts for what's going on in the world. And I don't know about anyone else in here, but it's hard for me to think that we would want your compassion on horrible people. As Jonah felt. I pray that you would open up our minds to what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Jonah is all about God's compassion. The key word in the book of Jonah is compassion. God's heart, God's compassion. The the book, as you read it, it kind of invites you into check your own heart to see if your compassion would line up with God's compassion for people in the world. You, you see, the, the name Jonah is, is pretty relevant. When you understand the, the name of Jonah, it really makes the book of Jonah make sense. His name means dove. Uh, um, and many times, you know, um, Symbolically, we think of dove and we think of the Holy Spirit or we think of peace. The Old Testament also had some different ways of symbolically looking at the word dove. One is found in Hosea 7. It says, the people of Israel have become like a silly, witless 
dove. Or Ephraim has become like a dove, silly and without sense. And, and, and so probably silly and without sense is probably because of the way the, the doves fly. It's their, their flying pattern. It's erratic. I mean, you watch a hawk or an eagle and they just soar. And you contrast that with the dove who was just erratic in how they fly, which really is Jonah throughout the book of Jonah. Silly and senseless. God says, go this way. He goes the opposite direction. Silly and senseless that are we kind of silly and senseless in our own following of who God is and what he wants for us. So his name is Jonah. His full name is son of Amittai. Amittai means my faithfulness. So despite Jonah being maybe silly and senseless, despite the fact that even at the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah still doesn't seem to grasp or get the point, God is faithful in his love and compassion for him. God doesn't only love his mission, he loves those who go and serve in his mission in the world. He has a, a, a faithful love for Jonah. And so we get a little bit of background on who is Jonah. We see um, Jonah introduced in 2 Kings. Um, and I'll just read a couple verses. The, Jeroboam II is king. Um, in the 15th year, um, he reigned for 41 years, Jeroboam II. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Not surprisingly, a lot of the kings did. And, but he is the one who restored the boundaries of Israel. Jeroboam II expanded the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah. So we, we learn a little bit about Jonah. He's living during the time of Jeroboam II, and he's a prophet for the people of Israel. He's God's prophet. He's introduced as the servant of God, the, the prophet over Israel. Not one of many prophets. No, he's the prophet well-respected by the people in Israel, he made prophecies, and those prophecies were true. He, would, he prophesied that the Israel would come back to their full borders, and that prophecy ended up happening during the reign of Jeroboam II. So people look highly on this prophet, Jonah. And if you open up to Jonah, you can pretty much get the whole gist of the story by reading the first few verses of every chapter. So, Jonah 1 verse 1 says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Jonah 2, verse 1. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Well, how did he end up in a fish? 
It's because he was disobedient in chapter 1, and so he ends up in a fish, and we have this great prayer of Jonah we'll look, about, look at in a, in a second. Jonah chapter 3, the word, of, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He gets a second chance, he goes, and we know that there's great repentance that happens in the city of Nineveh. And so you're so excited because you know there's one more chapter. This is going to be exciting. It's going to be the aftermath. How, all the things that are going to change in the, in the city of Nineveh and Jonah is going to be part of this great celebration. But you read Jonah 4 verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He just preached the greatest sermon ever recorded. A whole city comes and repents and turns their lives towards God, and he's, he's angry. So what I want to do this morning, it's hard to take one whole great book of Jonah with everything in it and do it justice. Actually, I've talked to Tom and I've begged him. For Advent this year, we're going to look at Advent through the, the eyes of the minor prophets. I said, can I do Jonah twice? He says, sure. Because there's so much Jesus in the book of Jonah. Foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah that's going to come, and, and salvation, and all these type of things. So I'm, I have a chance just to preach all of Jesus in the book of Jonah, but that's not till December. So today, and just going to do kind of an over flyover of Jonah and kind of like in a Lectio Divina type fashion. You read over the passage time and time and time and time again in devotionals and you kind of, things come to the surface that uh, have been speaking to me. So here's, here's some of the things. So in chapter one, you've got Jonah, prophet, successful in his ministry, comfortable in his ministry, he's serving God, he's been recognized, the things are fruitful, people look up to him highly. And then he gets to a point where God comes to him and says, I want you to go. Reminds us the, the story of Abraham, right? I want you to go. I want you to minister to people of a different race. I want you to minister to a, a people of a, that speak a different language and minister to people that live in another country because I love them just as much as I love you. And at this point, Jonah gets this revelation from the Lord and really sees how selfish he really he is. You know, God called Jonah to leave the people that he loved in order to reach a people that God loves. And he sees the selfish. How shocking would it be for Jonah to get this word of the Lord to go and, and go to a people like the Assyrians who live in Nineveh? They were known in the world and the region of that area as being the terror for not only Israel, but all the surrounding regions around. Nahum 3 says this, describing Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood. 
full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. No one liked the Assyrians. They were scared of the Assyrians. Notice Jonah's in a place that he loved. He's comfortable. He's highly esteemed. And the shock of him to go to a place like Nineveh. Why didn't God just say, you know what, things are going well. Just stay, do what you're doing. I'm working through you, and this is an amazing thing, but that's not what he did. And I wonder how many of us maybe need to recognize in our lives what we're doing may only be for a time. Jonah held so tightly to the ministry that he was doing for the Lord that when God called him to do something else, it it, it, it went internally and it messed him up. Doesn't the world tell us to, to, to grab hold of stability, security? That's not God's kingdom. That's not how God works. The home that you live in is just for a time. The work that you do is just for a time. The people that you love are they're just for a time. Think about it. The, the house you live in, the, the home that you love, someone else is going to be living there someday. The job that you do that you may love, someone else is going to continue someday. The money that you have is going to belong to someone else someday. James says, what is it about your life that is just amidst? It's here today and gone tomorrow David says in the book of Psalms, teach us, O God, to number our days in order that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, hold strongly and securely on to God, but hold lightly into what God has given you for time. And so that, that whole Chapter 1, and we get the pagan sailors and God throws a storm and the lot lands on Jonah as he's fleeing the Lord. Jonah's the only one that doesn't pray and the pagans end up praying to God and we'll talk about that in December because it's an amazing thing. But then we get to a point where we turn the page. He's been disobedient and he walks the plank. Actually, they threw him overboard and Jonah's been thrown overboard, and all, for all we know, he's, he's done. He's a goner. But God sends this large fish to swallow Jonah. So when he's praying in the fish, he, he's, not, he's not praying, God, get me out of this trouble. Get me out of here. No, it's not a prayer of, of, of lament. It's a prayer of, of, of praise and thanksgiving. God, you saved me. Saved me. You got me out of the trouble I was, I was in. If you look at the first couple verses of, of chapter 2, it really gives you the whole summary of the prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and he listened to my cry. So basically we got, uh, I was in trouble, 
And God, you helped me. You rescued me. You saved me. And then the verses that go from three through the rest of the the chapter kind of detail what that trouble was and detail what the deliverance looked like. And then we get to the very um, middle verse of that chapter, uh, verse six, and it says, you brought me out of the, the pit. And then he has this conclusion, a confession of faith. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he says it right in the middle. I was a goner. I was down, going down to the pits, Joel. And God rescued me. And then you remember at the very end of this prayer what happens? It says that Jonah prayed the prayer and the Lord commanded the fish to vomit. To, to, to vomit Jonah up onto dry land, he could have used so much, so many other pieces of language to say that. God commanded the fish to place him on the land. God commanded the fish to put him up on the land. God commanded the fish to carry him over into dry land. But the fact that he uses the word vomit We see this other places in Scripture, right? When God says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. So wondering if maybe this is how God sees Jonah at this place in time. Jonah still doesn't quite get it. This great prayer of thanksgiving, but is that that really in his heart? That God would have the fish vomit him but the main character of the story isn't Jonah. The main character of the story of Jonah is not the fish. The main character of the story of Jonah is God and his compassion. It's about his compassion, his grace. It's not about the fish. It's not about the man. It's about God and his compassion and saving Jonah really from himself. That's who God is. One of the the, the biggest mistakes that I think that we could make is when we look at especially this, he's in this inside of the the, the fish having this prayer. We we, we make the, the mistake of making it about the situation. It's not about your situation. It's not just about getting out of your situation. It wasn't just about Jonah getting out of the situation. It was about God getting into Jonah, his heart and his life and his understanding of who God is. So there's a great question someone posed and says, was Jonah delivered from the fish or by the fish? Let me read that again. Was Jonah delivered from the fish or by the fish. Some of us, we, we, we have these situations in our life we don't know what to do. feel like we're drowning in different things that we can't get a hold of and it's worrisome and it's terrifying. It's giving us anxiety. And are we just praying to be delivered from that? Someone had a great prayer that says, this fish 
God is saying, this fish I will deliver you through. It's not about you getting out of the fish. It's about God through the fish getting into you. Not about you getting out of the situation, but about God through the situation getting into you. Unless we get it wrong, this was caused not by God. This was caused by disobedience of God, by Jonah going to the ever opposite way of where God called him to go. Sometimes we get into these situations not caused by God, but by our own sinfulness and decisions we make that get us into these situations. He says in verse 5, this is what he sees. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me. He, he comes to this place where he's finally the, the end of himself sinking to the pit. Looking up and the only, the only thing I can do is call out to God. And what does he see? Although he sees the Lord and he's grateful to the Lord, he still sees the engulfing waters. He sees the seaweed in his way between him and God. This happens in, in, in my life. It happened to Peter when Jesus said, come walk and to me off of the boat. Remember, he sank because he looked and saw the waves. This happened to Jonah. Jonah, you are my Savior, my salvation, God. Lord, I need you. But as he's looking up at the Lord, he still sees the seaweed and the engulfing waters. Sometimes we have these situations in our life where we need God's help. We desperately call out to the Lord and we know the Lord is there, but we still see this situation and these troubles and this stress and this. Thinking that we have to do this on our own strength. He gets to a place where he says, but God, verse 6, I'm having all these things, I'm, I'm engulfed by the waters, but God delivered me. I mean, it's almost exactly like Psalm 73. Remember Psalm 73? You read about my feet almost slipped. The wickedness, why do they prosper? I, this is, doesn't make sense. Why am I even living a righteous life? What is going on, God? But then I entered the sanctuary. Then it made sense. Jonah says, but God came and he delivered me. But he's still in the fish. <laughs> but it's not about the fish, right? It's about God. And, and, and regardless of the situation we're in, the, 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 the fact of the matter is the, the, the thing with Jonah, God was with him in the situation. God was with him in the fish. God is with you in the situation that you are in life. Salvation comes from the Lord. God is sovereign. God is in control of everything. Think about this. Jonah's praying to the Lord inside the belly of the fish. Here's what I'm dealing with, and here's the deliverer, and salvation belongs to the God. God is listening to him, dealing with him, giving him his presence, but at the same time, he 
is speaking to the fish to vomit him on the shore. God is speaking not only to Jonah, but he's speaking to the situation. I love that. Because that's who God is. God is not only speaking to you and hearing your cry for help, but He's speaking to your situation. He's in control of your whole destiny. He's in control of today and tomorrow and everything in between. He's sovereign. It's interesting, you, you read about the book of Jonah and many people write volumes on the book of Jonah. Several Scholars have said, you know, when it, when it comes to this um, idea of the, the fish vomiting Jonah up onto dry land, several people kind of write saying the place where Jonah ended up was Joppa, the very place where he started, which is interesting because God still has a plan. God is still going to do his plan for the people of Nineveh, and he still wants to use Jonah, but he's speaking to the situation. How many of us, we made decisions, or we had something happen where our trajectory of what we wanted as far as progress didn't happen, and all of a sudden we're going a different way, and, and, and we're, we're kicking ourselves we're almost mourning the time that was lost. If I would have just, and, and, and we think so, we can't almost forgive ourselves because if that would have never happened, I wouldn't have lost time and, and, and this wouldn't have happened. Rather than, you know, God is still in control and gives forgiveness and gives his grace, but you haven't lost time. God has placed you and maybe brought you through a detour in your mind, but if, you were, if it was up to you, you'd be going the same direction in your mind progress, but God wanted you over here in the first place. And God will get you to this place where he wants you to be and what he wants you to do for him. Some of us are mourning we're out of the situation that happened 10 years ago, but we're still mourning that timeless loss rather than giving God grace and knowing that he's placed you right here, right now, for a reason. You need to forget about what could have been and you live for the now of where God has brought you to start over again. It's an amazing thing. So then we get to um, chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, what's, what's the difference between chapter 1 and chapter 3? It's basically the same, but there's two different responses. It's, it's amazing that Jonah, God comes to Jonah a second time, and we always, you know, you read any devotionalist, like, oh, aren't we God, God, glad God gives us second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and God doesn't give up on me, God doesn't give up on you, but we come full circle. So we get to this place, God doesn't give him a whole new commission. No, it's the same commission that he gave him in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and proclaim the word that I'm going to give to you. Nothing is, nothing's changed in Nineveh. Over the time he was on the boat and got thrown overboard and spent time in the fish, Nineveh hasn't changed. 
But Jonah has. Jonah has had an encounter with the Holy God, which changed his answer to, I will go and I will obey. Jonah's the only one that's changed in this scenario. Those people are still horrible. Which is, um, by the way, Jonah getting a second call, which is really the same call, but a second chance for the same call, has to overcome some things in his own heart and mind. Because first he went totally opposite way from God. So he has to come to grips with some things. He has to overcome fear. It's the same people. They're a horrible people. Known for uh, their terror and their torture. That hadn't changed. He has to overcome shame. He's been disobedient to the Lord. He's been exposed in the inner being of who he is. wonder if he's asking the question, God, could you even use me after what I've done? He has to overcome these things. He has to overcome his own selfishness, his own self-interest. <laughs> he even admits it. I did not want them to have your compassion. That's why I didn't go in the first place. He has to overcome this. Nineveh hasn't changed, but God has changed. And it says he's obedient and he goes. And in verse 5, if you have your Bible open, just to refer to it, it says they believed. He says one clear, very minimal statement proclaiming the word. That's, and that, that, that's maybe the whole um, point of the story. He just didn't tell them some truth. No, he proclaimed God's truth, and they believed and repented from their ways. This is the, verse 6. The, the king rises from his throne. He takes off his robe. He puts on sackcloth. And ashes, kind of this expression of repentance and humility, sorrow before God. So he steps down off the throne, he lays down his robe, he confesses his sin, and he tells everyone, the whole nation, we are repenting and I'm calling a fast for everyone. He calls a fast for everyone, even the animals. I don't know if this was in the VeggieTales things, but you can just visualize the donkey be like, what do I do? Like, why, why me? Don't pull me into this. I'm just a donkey. But it, the animals are affected in this whole scenario. The sin of the people affected the animals. This isn't the first time you read in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it talks about the land was barren because of the sinfulness and the idolatry of God's people. Your sins affect more than just you. You, just, you think it's just a little sin. No, it affects your family. It affects those close to you. It affects your, it affects your job. Our sins affect people around us. Deuteronomy says this. Parents, your sins affect your children. Whether those sins are brought into the light ever or 
not your sins affect your children. Kenneth Ulmer, he's a bishop, wrote this. He says, the sins of the parent will become the tendencies of the children. Let me read that again. The sins of the parent will become the tendencies of the children. Think about that. Think about your life even when you were young and your kids are young and you think, the devil tried this on me. Why don't you think he's going to try it on your kids as well? The devil may be wise, but he's not that wise. It worked on you. It's why wouldn't he try to do the same thing with your kids? David understood this. David had his son Solomon. What was David's issue? He had a sin issue with women. What did Solomon have a sin issue with? It was women. We think our sins sometimes are, are, are secrets. But our sins have an effect on the people around us, our children, our grandchildren being passed down the tendencies of generations. What are you passing on? Publicly? <laughs> In a good way? What are you passing on that may be, may be hidden that you need to go to the Lord and stop with this generation? It's a powerful thing. That we come to repentance and what, what an amazing thing that this evil people would come to repentance and, and, and turn to faith in God. So like I said before, you, you turn the, the page and you look at chapter 4 and it says Jonah's angry. What do you mean you're angry? He just preached the greatest sermon. Say. Billy Graham times 10,000. Talk about revival. That's the most amazing thing, but he's angry? Seen this before, right? He's angry about God's heart and compassion for a people that he didn't think deserved his compassion. We saw this when, when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. Remember that? New Testament, Jesus tells this story, the younger son takes his inheritance and goes on and then spends all of his inheritance on wild living. He's an embarrassment to his father, his family, his whole community, and he comes back and the father has compassion and forgiveness and love, and the younger son repents Remember the older brother? It says, when the elder brother heard about the father's grace that he gave his son, the elder brother was standing out in the field and he was angry. What is Jonah? Angry. Because of God's compassion for people he doesn't think deserve his compassion. The elder brother is angry because he doesn't believe his younger brother should have compassion because of who he is and what he's done. They're not mad at the father. 
They're not mad at what he did, but they're, they're, they're mad at his compassion. So the question comes, Jonah, why are you upset? He's standing up on the, the hillside, not going down. Why are you upset? God says, do you have any right to be angry? It's almost like, it's almost like God is saying, Jonah, you still smell like tuna. You still got seaweed on your ear and you're talking about fairness. You're talking about compassion. You're talking about my love that I just gave you just a few days ago while you're in the belly of the fish. That same compassion that you wanted, you don't want me to give to other people. So now you're starting to name the terms of how I have compassion and how you think I should have compassion for. Jonah says, I want you to have compassion on me. I want, your, your, I want your compassion, your love to be big enough for me, but small enough for the people that I don't like. Selfish. And the moment we think that we're no different than Jonah, we kid ourselves. Who are you not forgiving? Who are you holding unforgiveness with in your own heart? That God would pour out his love and forgiveness to you, but you would hold it and say, no, they have to earn it. Rather than God's compassion, he's a conduit and he loves me so much that I'm just going to have compassion on everyone. Even though they don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. His grace, his mercy. <laughs> we, we do things like this a lot. I'll just name 12. I'm just kidding. I'll name a couple. Uh, we, we hear things like, and I'm, I'm looking big picture of, of why the Ninevites may not have been deserving of God's grace. We do it in, in, in small ways. You, you talk to people and they're like, ah, oh, we have great neighbors, our great family friends. They're not Christians, but they're really nice, and they would be great Christians. As if to say, you know what? The drug dealer and that person that has a lot of tattoos that you think are ugly aren't going to be good Christians. We have this picturesque mindset of what we think would look like a good Christian, and we're judgmental. Anyone that comes to faith in Christ is a great Christian because they are now seen to God with righteousness because of what Christ has done. We have people, just think about what you're hearing in the news, not just about the wars and things, but politically it's starting to heat up, right? There's people you don't like. And someone may have dirt on them and they may bring some things to try. And you're like, finally, yes. There's groups in our society and in our nation that we don't understand sicken us. It's like they're, they are so... Where God says, I, I would love for them to repent. Could go on and on, but I won't. What I want to do is as we 
I look forward to Jonah part two, where we talk about Jesus in the whole midst of Jonah. But as we look at and, and we're reminded of God's compassion, is much greater than our selfish, blinded compassion. May we be open to, to God allowing us to see people as God sees them. But I want to I want to recite this this prayer because um, I think what it does what it'll it'll take what what I've talked about and kind of get us in our hearts right for communion and what Christ has done for us. So this would be a quotation, but maybe a prayer for us as we prepare our hearts. God says, I love you too much to allow you to be stuck here. I need you to move forward, but how I move you forward is not your own strength. Not what you do or not what they may have done, but it's in who I am and what I'm going to do in you. I'm restoring, I'm redeeming everything that was taken from you. I'm restoring, redeeming everything that has happened to you because no weapon formed against me will prosper because I made you in my image and nothing will be able to steal your image in my life. Never, I never want to minimize the weightiness or heaviness of your situation, but I would never want to minimize the weightiness of your God and the heaviness of your God. The blood of Jesus Christ reaches to the highest mountain, to the highest places of your self-righteousness, and it flows to the lowest valley. I don't care how deep your wounds are. I don't care how dark your wounds are. The blood flows all the way down to the deepest, darkest places of your life and washes clean and brings hope and deliverance to the places where the devil would love to keep hidden. But the blood of Jesus Christ loves you too much not to go into the deepest, darkest places of your heart and woundedness. God asks, why are you consumed with this? When God floods your life with love and forgiveness, there is no more room for unforgiveness and bitterness. God, thank you that you are a loving God, full of compassion, full of grace. And, and, and like Jonah, I'll speak for myself, Lord, I want your grace big enough for me. But sometimes I have a hard time when your grace may be giving, given to those that are hard to love. Change me. May you so transform our hearts and our our lives and our minds that when we understand the love of Christ, we can't help but love other people. Have a heart for other people. Have compassion on other people. Would you continue to work, transform us in the likeness of Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.